Amen. That is our prayer. You may be seated and ask you if you would to take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 139. If you don't have a sermon outline, there are some men that are coming forward now to give them to you. And so if you'll just lift your hand, they'll be glad to give it to you. Something odd has happened. Something out of the norm has happened. After nearly finishing preparation for our next sermon from 1 John, the Lord disturbed my spirit last night. I can tell you it is um, a somewhat anxious thing, it's somewhat a nerve-wracking thing when it's Saturday night and you have to stand to preach God's Word, and he says, not that one. And that's what happened last night. I was prepared to continue in 1 John. As we have been studying 1 John, I was prepared to go to our next text of message 14, a Christian or an Antichrist, a Christian or an Antichrist. And we'll hear that message, um, but not today. The Lord has led me to Psalm 139. I woke up this morning with a very clear indication that the Lord wants us to read this and wants us to take it and savor it under the title, Known by God. We live in a day and time when there's much frustration, there's much uncertainty, there's much anxiety. There's probably as much fatigue as there is anything else. We're fatigued with Facebook and Instagram and social media. We're fatigued with news. We are fatigued with conflicts. We are tired of the drama. We're tired of the drama of trying to change the designs that God has given us through all humanity, people telling us that God was wrong and now we are right when it comes to marriage. We're tired of the culture wars. Sometimes we feel attacked in those things. We're tired of the various agendas that the culture has. We're very frustrated with many of those things, but a couple of weeks ago, as First John, as we came there to chapter 2, we looked at the fact that all of those threats are not our greatest threat, as real as they are. We looked at the fact that our greatest threat is that which comes from within us, the potential to love the world and to love our sin instead of loving God. That is our greatest threat. But nevertheless, all of it culminates with very often us feeling attacked and very often us feeling very vulnerable. Well, I believe that God has interrupted our plans for a special word for us 
from the Psalms. You know, the Psalms very often are used by God to kind of break through at difficult, at difficult times. Now, all of Scripture can be used by that. You can be reading in Habakkuk or in Leviticus, and God can speak just as powerfully. But it does seem that the Psalms, because they so often deal with the issues of the heart, are very powerfully used to help us to see who God is and to see who we are or who we are not. So in the midst of so much trouble, we want to continue on, though, in this theme of John. John has a theme that is very important, and it's a theme that, that really is a spillover from the rest of all of Scripture, and it is this, this great juxtaposition between the saved and the unsaved, the redeemed and the unredeemed, the righteous and the wicked. In fact, the first psalm in this whole book of psalms is a tiny little psalm that simply presents the righteous versus the wicked. Now, if we are careful to look in 1 John, we see that John is ultimately talking about the same thing. This message, and as we look at Psalm 139, we are seeing the beautiful picture that God has for us of how He views the righteous. Psalm 139 is describing the great knowledge, power, and love of God for His people. And so... In the midst of all of the upheaval around us, I believe that this great, beautiful message of Psalm 139 will minister to us today. Take your notes there and notice it with me here. Known by God, that is what this psalm is really all about, and there could be no greater joy, there could be no greater security, there could be no greater hope than to be truly known and accepted by God. So notice with me here, number one, this is a psalm of David. He is the writer of this psalm. Some of the psalms come from different writers, and some of them are rather anonymous, but ancient Hebrew texts indicate that this is a psalm of David, and it's placed at the end of, the, of book five. And book five is Psalm 107 to 150 to the end. And this is, this is placed, here we are at 139. And it's the, the next few psalms that go all the way up to 50, Psalm 150, are, are praise psalms ending out the whole book of psalms. But here we see one of those before that begins. This is a reflective psalm. This is a psalm that is causing us to see and to reflect on who God is and how he relates to his people. Notice number two. David, the writer, is surrounded by deep trouble. Numerous times in his life, he is surrounded by trouble. In fact, as a young boy, as a young man, he finds himself in the face of great trouble. As a shepherd, he would have to deal with bears and lions and all kinds of adversaries coming after his sheep. But then think with me that David would come and find himself before a great deal of trouble. In fact, a giant. David knew what trouble was about. 
David knew what trouble was about even when God was working through his great great sovereign plan for the nation of Israel as we see on that day when he's before Goliath. But then David also knew what trouble was about when it wasn't just the enemies of Israel that were coming after him, but David also knew what trouble was about when it was also he's met the enemy and it is him. You see, David was a first-degree adulterer. David was also a murderer. David was also one who had disobeyed God. And he knew that sometimes some of his greatest troubles were from his own failures. But number three, I want you to notice this. The focus is on God's perfect knowledge of the lives of his children. That's what Psalm 139 is all about. It's the fact that God knows his people. And as I preach this message, I'm going to be preaching to those who have come to the blood of Jesus Christ, those in this room who have trusted in Christ, and they know that they know that their hope and their trust is solely found in him. So this morning, I'm going to be preaching to Christians this morning. And if maybe that's not you yet, maybe you're here checking things out, maybe you're not really sure or you understand, I want you to hear this through the ears of that these promises and this picture is between a God and his people. And so as we come, this is God's perfect knowledge, I will say, of you, if that's who you are. And we're going to see here his omnipresence, and we're going to see here his omniscience or his all-knowledge in this. But notice number four, the enemies that we come to at the end of this psalm in verses 19 through 24 are the Lord's enemies. They're not David's enemies initially. These are those who stand against God, but David has wisely decided to stand with the Lord. And so he stands with the Lord, and the Lord's enemies become David's enemies. If you would, underneath number four, right out there to the side, 1 John chapter 2. Because 1 John chapter 2 is part of that picture where we are told, do not love the world or anything in the world, because the world cannot help you. The world cannot satisfy you. The world will never bring eternal things to you. The only things that last forever are the Word of God and the souls of people. And that is what God has called us to love. So, In a strange way, in God's providence, I'm assuming, that Psalm 139 fits into our study of 1 John. It's not so far removed as we will see this, but I pray that God encourages you now as we quickly go through this psalm. And you're going to have to write really fast over there on the right margin of your page because I did not outline all of this for you. I want to encourage you to do the best you can to write down the things that seem to be most um, 
poignant to you. But notice with me in verse 1. We'll do something strange here. Let's read verse 1. Look what it says. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. If you would, flip the page. Look at the very last verse. Verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And verse 24, and see, circle the word see there. See if there, is any, if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So the psalm begins with search me, see me, come look in me, and it ends with search me, O God, and know my heart. You see, this is Hebrew poetry, and Hebrew poetry can be put together in a lot of different ways. That's why there's different indentations here. It has to do with the rhythm and the rhyme. It has to do with the cadence of this. If, there, if you're new to studying the Bible, the Psalms are poems. And in Hebrew poetry, we in English can't hear the rhyme. We can't hear the rhythm because it's, it's written in Hebrew. But in English, we do the best we can, and we do some of the indentations and the different lines to help you know and see how it works as it unfolds. But here we see the psalm begins with a theme, and it ends with a theme. Look at verse 1 again. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Over on the far left side, in that small margin that is there, I want you to write on the side, maybe vertically, he knows everything. He knows everything about me. When we look at verses 1 through 6, the point is this, that he knows everything about me. I want you to notice this. He, he has always known you. Look what it says. Oh, Lord, you have searched me. And look what it says. It doesn't say you have searched me and know me. What does it say? It says you have searched me and what? Known me. That's passé composé. That, that, is, that is past tense. Notice this. You've always known me. And we'll see here that before the foundation of the world, you knew me. And that language is found in the Old Testament and it's found throughout the New Testament that God knows his children. He knows them before the foundation of the world. And before the foundation of the world, there are names written in a book of life. What a glorious picture that God knows his people and he's always known them. Look at number two, verse two. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You see, you, you can say this, he sees what I do. He knows when I lay down, he knows everything about what I do, and he even, he, he can discern my thoughts. He's a mind reader from the halls of heaven. He knows what I think. 
In verse 3, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. This is a more intimate description of the same thing, that he knows which way I goes. And, and you know, here's another thing. Have you ever been kidding around with somebody and say, man, you better not mess with me because I know where you sleep? Has anybody ever said that? I mean, it's kind of like, I, I can come play a prank on you where you sleep. You know, I, I, I have access to you where you sleep. I mean, I can shave half your head if I need to uh, get you in play. Now, in a, in a real threat, I mean, if you know where the enemy sleeps, you're at a real advantage. He's offline. You can get to him. Now, I want you to notice this with me. At your most vulnerable at your most vulnerable state. The Lord knows which path you take and he knows where you, where you slide, lie down. He's acquainted with all your ways. You say, all of them? He knows every little nuance about who you are and what you do. As we go here, I, I just want to point out that his all-knowingness, his omniscience, and his all-presence, his being everywhere all the time, it serves, listen to this, as both a warning and as an encouragement. Under the grace of God, because of his grace in your life of, of bringing you to salvation in Jesus, and because of his grace in your life of forgiving your sins, listen, that this grace brings about a warning as well as an encouragement. So as you look at this, yes, be warned. God knows everything that you do, but also be encouraged. He loves you still. Friend, find great joy in the fact that he sees everything and loves you still. Look at verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it. Look what it says. All together. He doesn't have a vague sense of what you're going to say or what you're thinking. He knows it completely. You see, he knows you better than you. Verse 5, you hem me in. I love that. You hem me in. What does that mean? Uh, that, that means he comes and he surrounds you. You hem me in behind and before. Now, usually that's a threat. Usually that's not a good thing to be hemmed in. Usually that's when an enemy is chasing you and they get, they're able to corner you. Well, listen, in a great and glorious way, the hound of heaven, the great pursuer of God, God comes and he chases you and he hems you in and he corners you and he gets a hold of you in his grace. He's caught you in his grace. Look at verse 6. We know that that's a friendly idea because look at verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Here's the idea. The creator of the universe cares about you so much and he pursues you so much that when he does this and he even comes and he lays his hand upon you, that's not laying a hand upon you in a, in a bad way. That is laying the hand of blessing upon you. That same phrase is used when Jacob blesses Ephraim and Manasseh. 
that he lays his hand of blessing upon us. He touches us with his goodness. Now, the writer here says, this is too wonderful to me. You see, it's too amazing and it's too good, we would think. Look at the next section here. That's verses 1 through 6. Now look at verses 7 through 12. Look what it says. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or in death, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall, be, shall hold me. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, that means I'm, I'm in darkness, I'm, I'm hidden in darkness. Look at verse 12, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. Very quickly, I just want you to notice here, if you haven't written it already, between 12 and 7 on the left-hand side, just put on there, he is everywhere. And he's with me everywhere. He's with me in every circumstance, wherever I find myself. Wherever I go in my life, whatever place and situation, even disaster I find myself there, he is with me. There's nowhere where you cannot find me. And this, verses 11 and 12, he's, the, the idea of verses 11 and 12 where it's talking about the darkness, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light will be as light. Look at verse 12, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as day for the darkness is as light to you. You see, this is effortless for him to see you and to be with you. You see, he sees his end plan when the doctor says it's cancer. He knows all about that. He sees the end plan when the crash occurs. He sees the end plan when the loss is experienced. When you are thinking, Darkness is now overwhelming me either with grief or with trouble or with fear. The glorious news of this is for God's children, God sees you in that. And he is with you in that. And even greater, he has a purpose in that. Look at verse 13. 13, for you formed my inward parts. So now it's not just that he knows everything and he is everywhere, but now he is the power of the creator. He created, created you in love. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Right below that, there's a little space right below that. Write the word awesome. Because that's, that's, that's what's catching it there. When you stand, when, when you're in awe of something, it, it, there may even be a little bit of fear in that. That you're in awe. And that, that's who he is and what he's done in creating you. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it 
very well. Now, this is a very interesting thing about science and biology. Did you know that the human body is more complex and more sophisticated than any other living organism? The human body is more complex than a whale. The human body is more complex than an orangutan. The human body is more complex than a dolphin. Any other, any other high, sophisticated animals you want to mention? Okay, a kangaroo, all right? I like kangaroo. I heard somebody, a, a child go, yeah, I like kangaroos. They're kind of mean. They'll hit you, kick you. But anyways, the human body is amazing. I mean, there are certain dogs and certain birds that have better eyesight than we do. And there are certain dogs and there are certain other animals that have better uh, olfactory senses, sense of smell than we do. There are certain dogs and, and various other animals that have other abilities that we don't have. But all in all, the most sophisticated organism that has ever been made by God is the human body. The neurological system, the hematological system, the cardiac system, the human heart is more complex than any other heart. Notice this, verse 13. For you, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. Verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. That picture is in my mother's womb, down in this part that is going to come forward and come into life. That's, a, that's a, in the depths of the earth, even from the, the minerals from which she was created and the minerals from which you were created. As all, every bit of every molecule that, come, that came to make you as a person, God knew and ordained it all. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and here it is, in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now look at verse 16, what is that saying? Even before I was born in my unformed substance, as I was coming together, in your book were written, every one of them, every one of them what? My days. My days are all written. At the beginning of COVID, interestingly enough, I was over at Costco one day. And while I was at Costco, Maggie, who's sitting right back here on the center aisle, as she always does, I said, Maggie, how are you doing? She said, I'm not going to mimic her New York accent, but she said, Pastor, I'm doing fine. And I said, well, good. How, what's going on? I, I said, are you concerned about COVID at all? She said, you know, I'm really not. Here's my theology. On the day you were born, God stamps on your behind an expiration date. <laughs> you can't see it. You don't know when it is. But he does. And you just got to trust him. Is that what you said to me, Maggie? She said, how's that for your theology, Pastor? And I was thinking of Psalm 139, that the Lord knows all my days. 
So I can spend my life worried about that, not just about COVID. This, is, this isn't just about the anxieties of COVID. It, it can be about anything. I can either spend my days worried about the things of this life and concerned about all of these issues, or I can begin to see how deeply God knows me and how deeply God cares for me and how deeply He has planned for me. And I can come to trust Him because I am known by Him. Brothers and sisters, this is a great peace that God gives as we look to how much He loves us. Look at verse 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, oh God. You see, all of this is precious. Everything we've just been looking at here, this should be good news to you. This should be good news that He cares and He thinks of you. Look at verse 17. How fast is the sum of them? If I would count them, They are more than the sand. These are his thoughts toward you. I awake and I am still with you. I mean, the picture is day after day, his thoughts are toward us. Day after day, we think, well, I'm going to go to bed and it's going to end. He's not going to think of me anymore. He's not going to know me anymore. But that's not true. When I wake up, in fact, Lamentations chapter 3 says his mercies are new every morning. And great is his faithfulness. Friends, Psalm 139 is showing us how deep the Father's love is for His children. That He knows us. He creates us. He thinks of us. He cares about us. Verse 18, He stays with us. He keeps us with Him. I am still with you. Now, Verse 19 through 22 takes a drastic and necessary turn because there is a tremendous turn between those who know God and that are made righteous by God and that are his children who have received the blood of the Messiah over their sins, been washed clean and been taken from being an enemy in their sin to being a righteous child of him. That contrasted with the wicked who hate God, who have no interest in God, who rage against God. And as we just studied in the book of John earlier, two sermons ago, we look at how the world rages against God. We've studied Psalm 2 before where the nations rage against God. They say, throw off his cords from us. Don't let us us be bound by what he says and what he does. And the world foolishly runs down the track of thinking that they can injure God and ignore God and live their lives free from God. And the Bible says that the Lord hates the wicked as they hate him as the righteous. Look at verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. Now, just notice that. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. That's an that's a exclamation toward God. And then he looks at the wicked around him, and he says, get away from me. You see, here's, here's the note for the side here, is that we must either break with the wicked or perish with them. You have to decide, am I going to break with the wicked, or am I going to go down with them? Because they're going down. Verse 20, 
They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Now, I mean, that's just one of the things that they do to blaspheme him. But, you know, it is very interesting that one of the most cursed names, or perhaps the most cursed name, is God. The Lord Jesus Christ. When people use Jesus Christ as an exclamation in vanity, that means with no value, with no, it's, they're not saying Jesus Christ as in Yeshua saves us, he's the anointed one. That's not what they mean. What they, what they are doing is they're taking the name of the second person of the Trinity, the one who comes, who lays down his life for the world so the world can live. They're taking that name and they're profaning it, making it completely Profane. It's the, it's the plumber that hits his hand and curses the name of Christ. It's the accountant who looks at her boss and, and exclaims in disgust, Jesus Christ. Now, it's very interesting that people don't run around saying, Hitler. It's very interesting that they don't say, Muhammad. It's very interesting that they don't say, Lucifer. They take the name that is above every name, the name that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that he is Lord. They take that name in this little bit of time they have. And under the influence of Satan, they blaspheme it. In case if you haven't figured it out, you should not take the Lord's name in vain. Verse 20, they speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Verse 21, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now that is not politically correct. But that is exactly the position that God calls his children to have toward the children of Satan. Now it's an interesting way in which this works that Jesus would come and he calls us to follow in his, his footsteps that, that those who are enemies, we, do, we don't know who ultimately are going to be the children of God. We are called to love a lost and dying world. We are called to serve a lost and dying world. Jesus comes and he heals. Jesus comes and he feeds. Jesus comes and he forbears and he teaches and he does all of that to the masses. And we are called to do the same thing. But here's what we're not called to do. We are not called to adopt them as our family in eternity. We are not called to adopt their values. We are not called to go in their ways, in their places. 
We are called to hate those who hate God. Now, listen, don't get mad at me. God said it, not me. And we need to figure out what that means. We need to figure out how do I come to the place in my life where I am so in love with God and all that is right and holy and true. And listen, and I am so offended as they offend him that it offends me. That is part of what it means to hate the wicked. Jesus had a lot to say about that, by the way. Jesus looked at the wicked who would rebel against him and who would reject his words, and he would call them, you brood of vipers. Look at what you do in deceiving others. God calls us to side with him. And in his grace, he teaches us how to hate the wicked while yet loving them with the gospel. Notice here what it means in verse 23. Search me, O God. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. You see, part of what we see in verse 23 is, Oh Lord God, I don't want to be deceived in thinking that I love you when I don't. I don't want to be the wicked. There's a lot in the New Testament about us being deceived about whether we know God. And here the psalmist is saying, search me. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. Show me if there's anything wrong. Look what he says in verse 24. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the, everlast, in the way everlasting. You see, this is the glorious, beautiful encouragement of God. That he knows you. He's with you. He made you. He thinks about you. Your picture is on his refrigerator. And he calls you to join him in a love for righteousness and truth. And we can safely say, Lord, search me and show me where I'm wrong. And that's what this table is about. This table is about you and me remembering that a tremendous price was paid, that we would be called holy, that we would be called righteous. How does that happen? Well, it doesn't happen because of anything in you. And it doesn't happen because of anything in me. It happens because of what he did when his body was nailed to a cross, held up for all to mock and see and jeer. And then his body was laid in a tomb. And he overcame death and sin through his glorious resurrection. This is a story too good to be true. Search me and know me. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me. 
lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. Notice at the end of verse 24, lead me in the way everlasting. What is the way everlasting? John 14, 6, that's Jesus Christ. I am the one way who can bring forgiveness and grace, who can bring redemption and healing. Indeed, Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. That's the picture that we see in 19 through 21 and even through 24. Whoever is, against, whoever is not with me is against me. Jesus said there's a stark contrast between the two. And I would ask you this morning, are you in the way everlasting? Are you in him? I hope and pray that you are. And if you are, I hope and pray that this morning that you see that there is no threat, there is no fatigue, there is no foolishness that can overcome the great presence and knowledge and thoughts and love and design of God, that you and I have the love of the Father through the love of the Son. And when we have that, we have everything we need. Amen? Let's stand together as we prepare to sing. Lord, I pray that this morning that we would take all the cares of this world and that we would leave them at your feet. Lord, I think about 1 Peter that says, casting all of our care upon him because he cares for us. Lord, I thank you for these verses in Psalm 139 that talk about how your, your thoughts toward us are more than the sands of the seashore. That you know us and love us still. And that you never leave us nor forsake us. That we wake in the morning and, and there you are again. Giving us your grace. Lord, your salvation is full and free. Your work on the cross is complete and whole. Making righteous the unrighteous. Forgiving the sinner and letting the guilty go free. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that this is the great love of God. We thank you that this morning that you've called us to live in that love, to live in what you've said, that we would know what you've said about us, and that we would find great courage for life. That every uncertainty can be compared to these certainties. That you know us, that you're with us, that you never leave us, and that you lead us in the way that's everlasting. So Lord, thank you. I pray that, Lord, wherever our hearts aren't right, that even as we sing, that we would um, repent, that we would confess to you, Lord, our sins for which you died. That instead of defending ourselves or being afraid that you're going to take away something as we confess it to you and give it to you, Lord, I, I pray that your great grace would lead us to obedience in all things. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.